treat a meme like any other piece of content that you're going to use commercially. You may run into copyright issues, publicity rights issues of whoever's appearing in that content. If you're going to run a meme that you're not creating yourself, then have counsel look over it before you run it if you're concerned about this at all. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Mind Your Marketing. I'm your host, Jordan Shelton. Today on the show is Robert Freund. He is an attorney specializing in advertising law. He works with agencies, creators, and DTC brands. We get into a conversation that is good for marketers to think about things like, are memes legal? What are usage rights? How do you get started in influencer marketing? What are some of the risks involved with influencer marketing? Also, how to create a good relationship between legal and marketing, how to balance risk tolerance with business objectives. So this is really, really useful if you are a marketer, if you're creating content, if you're getting things to legal for approval, you're going to like this. But before we get into it, this show is brought to you by Cave. We are a social media agency based out of LA. We help brands grow on social media with paid media management, performance, creative, social strategy, you name it, we do it with social media. Head over to cavesocial.com to learn more. All right, now let's sit back and enjoy this episode. Hey, Robert, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I am doing good. Happy to have you on. Talk all things advertising, legal. I guess before we start, we should probably say this isn't legal advice to all the people who are listening. Good reminder. I I like to say I'm an attorney. I'm not your attorney. I'm giving legal information, not legal advice. Do you have a question particular to your situation? You should reach out to an attorney to discuss that. Yeah. Don't quote this podcast in your board meeting, basically. (laughs) All right. Well, I want to hop right in something that's very... uh, I don't know, a hot topic, I guess, with marketers. And I want to know your stance on memes, meme usage for brands. Although I think most brands ruin memes, that's a side discussion. What advice would you give to brands around creating and using memes in organic and in paid? I'm seeing brands run it in paid as well. So I think my general approach would be treat a meme like any other piece of content that you're going to use commercially, whether there's ad dollars behind it or not. Anything that your brand posts on social or anywhere else, if it's under the brand's page, the law is going to treat that as your brand's advertising. So as a starting point, I'd like to dispel the the mistake people make of thinking, well, I, I didn't run this as an ad, so to speak. And so, you know, advertising law doesn't apply to me. It's on your brand's pages. It's commercial in nature, and you should assume it's your brand's advertising. And so when I say you should treat it like any other piece of content, you want to make sure that you've cleared the rights to whatever piece of content you're using, because if you don't, you may run into copyright issues, publicity rights issues of whoever's appearing in that content, and things of that nature. So with memes, it's not like there's a blanket statement I could make that you know it's always okay or it's always not okay. There are very specific cases where we've seen that it's not okay, or at least it's alleged not to be okay. So in the last 12 months or so, F. Jerry Media has the rights to the dude with sign and has the rights to enforce his copyrights and his publicity rights on his behalf. And F. Jerry has sued probably about 20 now brands in the last 12 months for taking the dude with sign meme template, putting their brand message on the board he's holding up and running that as an ad or posting it organic. That issue there is, well, look, you haven't cleared the rights to the original image and you're using the dude himself, his likeness to promote your brand. And 
part of what they allege is an issue with that is like the, that guy, the dude with sand, the dude with sign does enter into licensing deals with some brands where they have the rights to do that and people shouldn't free ride on it is basically the argument. So that sort of framework could apply to basically any sort of meme format, especially if it's a meme that involves some IP of the type of entity that likes to police it, like a Disney or some other movie studio. There's tons of Barbie memes. I don't know if anyone's gotten a demand letter about it. To my knowledge, no one's been sued about it. But certainly you could see it's within the realm of possibility that that studio could say, we don't like this. We want to license this to some advertisers. And you can't just use Barbie and Margot Robbie in your ads. So there's certainly a lot of advertisers get away with it, probably will never get in trouble for it. There's probably situations where you can take a template and transform it enough so that you would be in the clear. But I would recommend if you're going to run a meme that you're not creating yourself, then have counsel look over it before you run it if you're concerned about this at all. If you're okay with the risk, then, and that's something we'll probably talk about later, then that's okay. But if you're thinking, hmm, I wonder what the risks are here and maybe what we could do to avoid it, speaking with a lawyer is a good option or what I would recommend. You know, what's funny is like from the marketing perspective of it, when I go to clients now, I don't even think it's worth it. One, I'm like, I feel people remember the meme more than they do the brand associated with it more times than not. So I'm like, oh, we're doing some Michael Scott photo. I'm primed to think of The Office or I'm primed to think of Barbie. And it's that quick hit. I don't actually think it then like furthers brand engage, like a brand connection between consumers a lot of times and the brand. So I'm always on the, the side of like, extreme caution when it comes to that. Like, let's just go create our own. But I see brands doing it at and using it and paid. I'm like, whoa, this feels like the wild, wild west. Very similar to, uh, you know, TikTok and music usage and sound usage, which we see people going, you know, I see Delta Airlines do something and they post that. I'm like, I don't know if y'all got that cleared or I'm not going to, I'm going to stay out of it. But I see a lot of people doing the same thing kind of in music. So I think that's an important note there to kind of treat all things as works, right? Like the yeah. word meme doesn't blanket, a safety blanket over you or protect you in any right. way. Right. It's not automatically fair use because you call it a meme. Someone created that initial image. If you're using something that's already been created, you know, I've seen some brands will use either an AI tool or something else to come up with like a different guy holding a sign and it has basically the same effect. That's one way that you can avoid that sort of issue if it's different enough. But yeah, I agree with you. It seems like a lot of these brand memes are just like the marketers making them for other marketers. It's sort of like a competition. Whereas I'm not sure how that establishes or furthers a brand identity if it's somebody just seeing the same recycled thing. Which is probably a whole other podcast is marketers making things to impress other marketers, right? So I do want to move on to uh, piggyback on this, which is mistakes that you're seeing brands make kind of over and over again that, you know, when clients come to you or people come to you, maybe reactively instead of proactively, what are those things that you keep seeing come across your desk where you're like, ah, oh, this could have been avoided or three months, if I would have got in three months before, you know, this wouldn't have happened. Yeah, probably the most common situation that falls into what you described it has to do with um, UGC and creator rights and not having a contract that reflects what you intended to have the relationship look like. So the contract didn't say, or maybe you limited yourself to being able to use that piece of content on TikTok. But then you want to go and use it on Facebook. Well, if the contract only granted you a license to use that piece of content on TikTok and you use it somewhere else, you're basically alley-ooping a copyright lawsuit to the creator. And that sort of thing I hear at least weekly. And the research tools I have that alert me to new cases of 
in the areas I pay attention to, those are filed every single day. And I, I tweet about it a lot because it keeps happening. And it's like, this is not a complicated issue. What you should do is think about, all right, what do we want to get from this creator, whoever else is the source of this content we want to use? How do we want to use it? For how long? And where? And if you can agree to that, then have something in writing that reflects that. And then if you get one of these complaints or demands from a creator, you can resolve that cheaply and quickly versus, you know, maybe you did have some sort of implied license or whatever, but it's going to be a drawn out and much more expensive process to resolve that uh, unless you just cave to whatever their demand is in the first place. So think through your campaigns, where you're getting content from. And it's certainly not the fun part of doing marketing, but have your agreements in place. It's not that complicated. It's not that expensive. And it can save you a ton of headache. I also would add just on the person to person level, one, it could save a business relationship if the content was good and you it was a misunderstanding or maybe the creator didn't know that you had a license. You'd be like, hey, you know, we actually did have that license. You know, here's the heads up. Two, from a reputation standpoint, I mean, we're both in LA and it can, if you're a shitty brand to work with or a creator who's a hassle, it gets around. I hear all the time, don't work with that creator, don't work with this, don't work with that person. And it's like, or on the flip side, do, hey, this person's great to work with. So I think that there's that component too, which is nearly impossible to, to measure the reputation standpoint, but you're also seeing that. I think this piggybacks nicely into something which a lot of people who are in startups maybe aren't familiar with, and that is usage rights. So if you could just explain you know, usage rights on, let's say I pay a creator to make a video and I want to use it on my social and in my ads, and it's going to be promoting my new, I don't know, let's say blue light glasses product. You know, What are usage rights and how are those typically framed? Yeah, usage rights basically are what they sound like. How does the person that's receiving this content, how do they get to use it? And for how long and for where and in what context and things of that nature. So approaching that at like a fundamental level, the first starting point is how are you transferring the rights to that content? Are you acquiring ownership of them or are you getting a license? If you own the content and the contract says something like, you know, the creator agrees that the deliverables are being transferred on a or created on a work for hire basis and the brand is assigned all ownership and IP rights in it, then effectively that language means that the content is yours to do whatever you want with and the creator can't do anything with it. It's yours. So if that is your goal, like I want complete ownership over this content, I can do whatever I want with it, then that is the starting point for what that section of your agreement should look like. If you're licensing it instead, what that means is the creator is like, okay, this is still content that I own. I have the copyright into in it, and I'm going to let you, you know, leverage the value of it basically on terms that I think are fair. And so that's when you get into usage rights. Like, can you only use this on socials? Can you only use it for three months? Can you only use it in organic posts? Can you do paid? Can you sublicense it to other brands or affiliates or something like that? And it's really important to pay attention to those terms because, like I just mentioned, misunderstandings or disputes about the scope of usage rights come up all the time. So if what you want is ownership and not have to worry about it, you should say so. If instead what you're getting is a license, pay close attention or have someone pay close attention for you to the language that's used because it can really... Things that are seemingly either synonymous or small can fundamentally change each party's rights. 
It's funny. I was thinking about this the other day. I was watching a TV and a commercial came on. It was a pharmaceutical commercial, but it was a video of like this family having a backyard barbecue, very stock footage. And I'm like, man, if these people just signed up thinking they were filming a backyard barbecue scene, but little did they know there was a voiceover for like, you know, yeah. some embarrassing or, you know, maybe a, something that they didn't know was happening. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa, like this must happen. And this is a prime example of why it's just better for everybody to kind of have their cards on the table on what are we creating content for? What was the client? How long are we going to use it? What platforms? And just not try to do any shady business. Right. Yeah. It goes into the publicity rights issue, too, which is separate from the copyright the creators usually or often will say like look okay even if you own the content you can only use my name image and likeness to promote your brand or for this long or whatever and your example there's a lot like that there was a case where somebody had licensed their image to be used for a certain brand or it might have been an assignment that they weren't aware of but what had happened was they thought their image was going to be used for like a hair care product but the terms of the contract were such that they could sublicense or assign this publicity rights to basically anyone in the world. And then the person sees their face on a billboard for herpes medication. And, you know, if that is your intention <laughs> to be able to do that, you should make sure that everyone is all right with the scope of those usage rights or else you can have a pretty serious problem. Yeah, that's wild. Now, you know, moving forward a little bit here, something with disclosing information. And I, I, I think to the consumer that's important too is, you know, disclosing that it's an ad. And we saw that in the mid 2010s, a lot of influencers weren't disclosing that they, you know, were paid for a product. And then they started to do the hashtag ad or say, this is an ad. But now I'm seeing a lot of creators just casually do product placement in their videos opposed to, hey, it's an endorsement. They're, you know, doing a get ready with me video. And it just happens to feature a couple products that I know they were paid to put in there. Do the same legalities apply? Should brands be disclosing that? The same rules apply. The FTC recently, either last month or the month before, I'm losing track of time this year a little bit, but recently updated their endorsement guides to cover more examples of hypothetical but real situations. What I mean is like situations that come up a lot where the FTC wanted to provide a little more clarity about what they think violates the law or doesn't when you need a disclosure and things like that. And one of the things that they clarified was the definition of what an endorsement is. Most people think of endorsement, they probably think of like a brand ambassador going on TV, like Doug Flutie for Flutie Flakes or whatever, or somebody for Nike. But an endorsement can be something as small as clicking like on a Facebook post. The FTC says that act is endorsing whatever brand you're liking. And to your question, the the idea of product placement where the creator's not expressly referring to the brand or talking about any of its features. If you're using that product in that piece of content and you have a material connection to the brand, you're either paid or you were given the product for free, a discount or something like that, then the use of that product in the content is an endorsement. So it's not like something different from an endorsement. It's within that umbrella of what it means to endorse something. And so the same disclosure rules apply to that piece of content as something more traditional like, hey, we'll pay you to say nice things about this product. So for the marketers who and marketing teams who sit there and they have what we'll call maybe an adversarial relationship with legal, or they see legal as the no department, right? And the risk averse department and the it's 5% chance of rain and they're going to bring an umbrella department, right? Like I've heard these comments before. How do you go about one, I guess, creating a relationship 
or would you suggest that, you know, the marketing team and legal team, one, create a good working relationship, and then two, handle risk tolerance versus business objectives and really understanding like, okay, where does all of that fit in to, you know, take some chances maybe with some campaigns? Yeah, a good counsel relationship is like you're on the same team and you understand that you're both trying to do the same thing and help the business be profitable by avoiding legal expenses and running campaigns that work. How I like to approach it is I understand that if I say no to everything in marketing that has any risk, I'm going to be saying no all day long and very few ads will get run. Like marketing is risky. Some risks are more severe than others and carry more consequences. So I view my job as identifying what the risks are and then getting an understanding of my client's business and their risk tolerance and then saying, helping them craft a solution that aligns with whatever that risk tolerance is. Some clients will say, I cannot sleep at night. If there's any risk that I'm violating the FTC, please you know, advise me accordingly. Okay, that's going to be very buttoned up and to the letter of the law and more restrictive. And some clients will look at certain issues after I've explained what the risks are and say, we're comfortable with that. Or, you know, maybe we can get more in line with what our risk tolerance is versus what we're currently running. And you can craft a solution, hopefully, that works for the client in terms of their risk tolerance. Because like you said, at that point, it's a business decision and not really a legal one. There are some things that are hard no's. Like, I just cannot recommend that you do these certain things. But most things, there can be a solution depending on what the client's risk tolerance is. Yeah, I think about it like I sat with my doctor in my yearly physical and, you know, I was going through blood work and he goes, look, I could wrap, I could put you in bubble wrap, feed you green smoothies all day. And yeah, you might live to be 130, but that's no life to live. The same reason he's like, I wouldn't recommend you run out and start, you know, running red lights when you leave here. Yeah. It's, we need to make informed decisions and take informed risk. And he walked through and I was like, I love how that was put. Cause I think there's a lot of similarities to the brand side of things and business in general. It's just the more information you have and about the risks, then you, you know, each business owner can then go and make their own decision. Yeah. I think that's exactly it. It's like, I'm not just here to shoot down every idea that might be risky. It should be that your counsel understands the line of work that you're in, first of all, and then understands what you're comfortable with more broadly. And then you can work to maybe not a no, but a yes, if, or something like that. Cool. Now for the small business owner, right? Someone who owns, let's say they got a restaurant here in LA and they're looking to put their customers on camera or a SaaS product that's going to do customer testimonials, something where it's not a creator and brand, but much more just the everyday person and a small business. What would you recommend that business does that they can then, you know, to best protect them to, you know, to be able to use their customers, to be able to maybe film them in getting the reaction after they eat their meal or whatever, maybe. Is there something that that small business owner, that brick and mortar shop could be doing to get started the right way with, you know, using other people's you know name and likeness? Yeah, I think the starting point is understanding what the issues are. Just knowing, okay, like what legal issues do I need to think about before I decide what steps I might need to take? So in the context of filming people in your restaurant, getting some sort of review from them and then using it in advertising, Three issues that immediately come to mind are that person's publicity rights, the content of what they're saying about your business or your product, and then potentially privacy rights if you're filming somebody in a private location or, or somewhere where they would have a reasonable expectation that they're not being filmed. Ideally, you'd say, hey, we're filming some customer reactions to 
potentially use in our ads. Would, would you be okay with giving a response after you take a bite or something like that? Some people don't like to be surprised very much. And in some cases, if they could say like, I, I'm here with my family, we're discussing something private and you're filming me, you could have a problem. But something that's more broadly applicable with using customer reviews is, like I mentioned, if somebody's appearing in a piece of content that's used to promote your business, you need to have a publicity rights release from that person. And then the third thing is the content of what they're saying. So the law will treat any reviews or testimonials that an advertiser or a brand highlights or features in their advertising, like on their website or, or even resharing something on social media as the brand's own advertising. And so all advertising claims have to be truthful, not misleading, and substantiated. So brands get into trouble if they showcase some sort of testimonial or result that doesn't reflect the typical experience of whoever their customer is. And also if it's just not true, like Google got in trouble recently for sending out Pixel phones to a bunch of radio stations. The DJs would talk about how great the Pixel 4a is. I think it was the Pixel 4. It might have been the 5. But it turns out none of them actually use the phone. And so there's a big regulatory action about that's not truthful advertising. These people haven't actually used it. And there's tons of cases about highlighting especially in terms like earnings claims, if you're doing coaching or something like that, like this student made $100,000 in a month. Okay, first, you need to make sure that that's true, that they did make that and that you could substantiate that with evidence if you had to. And then also that your typical student can expect to make that. And if they can't, there's a series of disclosures you need to provide and so on. So before you use any sort of review or testimonial, pay attention to the content of what's in that. Ensure it's true to the extent that you can. If you can't, probably wouldn't recommend using it. And then make sure they're not saying anything about your product or service that you wouldn't feel comfortable making directly. Yeah, this is why uh, you don't see, you know, fat loss ads and back adjustment ads uh, on social media. They're reserved for 3 a.m. on abstract TV channels. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Rob, before I let you go, let people know where they should head to connect with you online both your business and uh, you personally, where's the best place to connect on social? Yeah, I'm most active now on Twitter. So it's at Robert Freund Law, same username on Instagram. I'm relatively active there. And then my website is robertfreundlaw.com and you can contact me through that or book a consultation or anything like that. Awesome. And I'll put links to those in the show notes so you can head on down wherever you are watching or listening to this and go connect with Rob. Thanks again for coming on today, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. This is fun. All right, everybody. That's it for this episode. As always, hit all that like, share, subscribe at the bottom. I'm your host, Jordan Shelton, and I'll catch you next time.